0: Welcome to Layers of Film, the show where mediocre people discuss masterful films the first Monday of each month. I am your host, Austin Killian, joined by my co-host, Big T. Big T, how are you doing? Big T? Big T, where are you? Oh my goodness, I think someone pulled a heist? (laughs) ...and took Big T. Oh, no! All right. That's enough of that. Oh, my goodness. Big T is a no-show. Ladies and gentlemen, guess what? (laughs) Sometimes, even though this is a show that comes out once a month... (laughs) ...scheduling conflicts uh, do arise, and oh, boy... Uh did we not pay attention to what our schedules were gonna be like this past month? So we weren't able to uh we weren't able to record <laughs> together. So I'm gonna be doing an episode solo. This is gonna be weird, this will be different. I really didn't want to push back the episode or um I don't know, cancel it altogether because I just think it's ridiculous to not put out an episode <laughs> At the exact time that you say you're going to when it's only once a month. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. I think Big T will uh, make a comeback in the next episode. And we'll just kind of have his high-level thoughts on Ocean's Eleven uh, when we do that episode. And, you know, we'll see what he has to say about it. But this episode's going to be a little... Di- wow, how many times can I say episode in one go? there's not going to be the back and forth. I'm probably going to be just kind of going down my notes in order instead of just being able to hop around and have that, you know, interesting back and forth with different aspects of the film as we go along, Uh, which, you know, might be interesting because you'll get an eye uh, into how I write my notes for the show, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, life is super busy, uh, I know Big T, he was uh, moving, that was kind of part of it as well. I went on a trip and I failed to mention that to Big T or something like that and we didn't—we uh, just didn't plan out the month very well and it is what it is. Uh, a couple of things that I wanted to note uh, before I really get into Ocean's Eleven, which is of course the film that we're going to be talking about today, the one that came out in 2001 with George Clooney and uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh and what whatnot, but first... Margaret Keene passed away at 94, what the heck, holy smokes, we just covered big eyes and I just wanted to, you know, kind of put that out there, RIP, Margaret Keene, I can't believe we, we covered that, and uh, and then she passes away at 94, you know, just a few weeks later, so, you know, of course, love goes out to her family and everything, and, um, you know, I hope she was able to see that money before she passed, That's that's all I got to say about that. Um, very interesting, uh and very sad uh, also holy smokes it is it's almost been a year of layers of film. holy crap so I'm you know, if we were gonna have an episode where big T wasn't gonna be able to make it, this was the one because the next episode is gonna be the last episode of our first year, and uh so that'll be fun also. I procrastinated like crazy in recording this, and uh, this well, this may end up being our shortest episode yet, but even with that being the case, this is the day before the episode's supposed to go out, so I'm going to record it, edit it, hopefully I don't have to edit too much because it's just going to be me, so I'm going to really try hard not to say um a lot and have a bunch of long awkward pauses, (laughs) we'll see what happens, but tomorrow is 4th of July in America, holy smokes. Uh, God bless America, or whatever. I don't know. You, you know, you th- you think that I would have chosen a film that was Fourth of July related? Uh, I did not, however, do that. So, <laughs> we're covering Ocean's Eleven, but also unplanned. You think I would have planned this? It is our eleventh episode, and we are covering Ocean's Eleven. What the heck? So, hey, that's that's all I got for like little before the show notes. Why don't we just dig in to this wonderful, masterful film? Uh, Released December 7, 2001, the synopsis is Danny Ocean and his 10 accomplices plan to rob three Las Vegas casinos simultaneously. Directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Ted Griffin, composed by David Holmes. Uh, The big actors, George Clooney as Danny Ocean, Brad Pitt as Rusty Ryan, and Julia Roberts as Tess Ocean. Of course, there are so many other uh, actors, I cannot possibly get all of them into this because, well, I can, but... It would be ridiculous for this film introduction to name everyone because everyone is so integral to the story. Integral? Integral. Oh, dang. Integral? Integral. (laughs) I can't say it. Anyway, the budget was $85 million, and the box office earnings was $450.7 million. And uh, at the time of recording this episode, you can stream it on HBO Max. Wow! Hey, hey, Austin, what's your <laughs> what's your thoughts thoughts on this film? Oh, it's great! It's a great film, one of my favorite films of all time. I I mean, you could probably argue it's the best heist film of all time. At least I would. I I guess I haven't seen like too many heist films. I never saw the original Ocean's Eleven. Uh, I I've seen Italian Job. That movie's okay which is actually kind of funny because Mark Wahlberg was supposed to be in this film but dropped out for something else. I have no idea. I think Planet of the Apes or something like that. And then he ended up doing Italian Job later, but Italian Job is just the uh, the poor man's Ocean's Eleven, in my opinion. Of course, there's Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen, but Ocean's Thirteen isn't that great. Ocean's Twelve is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Not as clever, I would say. Uh, they just decided to just ramp up how ridiculous all the characters were. Uh, Still fun to watch, but not as good as this one, Um, but oh man, there's just something about this movie, I've seen it so many times, but it's just so fun to watch, I think the witty banter, um, not over explaining things, having this like masterful plan, which is one of my accolades towards the film, I think that the writing is just so perfect, and the editing is so perfect as well, like this is a fake heist, right? written up by uh, Ted something, Ted, what, what? (laughs) I don't know, who wrote this? Ted, uh, Ted, 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 Ted Griffin, that's right. Ted Griffin wrote this, and I think the writing is just amazing. I think it's absolutely incredible, and I think everything was planned out so perfectly, but the editing also is ingenious as well, because there's so many parts where you have like a scene in the heist itself that's going on and there's a thing happening or whatever Terry Benedict's talking to someone and then they leave the shot but then right in the background you have the elevator opening with the the Mormon twins coming out of the elevator at the same time you know seeing the next step of the plan going on right as the next, right as the previous step comes to a close i think it's just absolutely brilliant and i think that the shots are brilliant. I think all of the lines are, are performed to perfection. Of course, you got some cheesy acting, like, uh, the amazing Yen, um, whoever played him, let me look that up real fast. There's so many characters I can't, I can't keep track of. He hasn't really done any acting. Um, Shaobo Keen, I think maybe that's how you'd say that, you know, <laughs> he's not really an actor I don't think he was supposed to be an actor I think they found him basically how Danny Ocean and and Rusty uh, found him um, just performing or whatever a show and uh, that's kind of how he got into the movie and so you know you can't really expect anything great from him but um, I would say aside from him I think all the all the other acting is is great I think everyone plays exactly who they're supposed to be and they're 100% believable that's something huge for me in movies it's like if you could tell that the actor is acting, they're a good actor. But if you completely don't even see the actor in the role anymore and you just see that character and that's it, then that's like that's the cream of the crop. That's absolute perfection. And I think everyone uh with the ex- exception of Yen, uh I think everyone does that incredibly well. Maybe Frank, maybe Bernie Mac doesn't do as good of a job, but everyone else um, but but he still does a great job. I don't know. Everyone's fantastic in this film. I think Steven Soderbergh did a great job in, in, in making sure that they all had that perfect chemistry to where they just worked just flawlessly with each other. I don't know. Like, they just were able to riff off of each other super well, and you could just, I don't know. I Kind of like what we said with The Godfather. Everyone just seems like they're actually, you know, they're characters, and they're together, and they're um, conversing with each other as their characters. I think it's, ah, they just did a great job. Um, speaking of characters, I guess, why don't we just kind of, so this is kind of the first thing that I usually write down in my notes. I just kind of give all the characters that I really think stood out in the film and just kind of high-level thoughts on them, a uh, little bullet points. So let's start with Danny Ocean. Uh, the things that I wrote down for him is he's a liar, uh, very rehearsed, uh, kind of a hopeless romantic, at least with Tess. Uh, focused, calculated, and calm. It's actually really interesting because I've seen this film so many times, but actually trying to watch it with a critical eye for once, like, he never really loses his crap, like, hardly at all. Like, he is really calm and collected most of the time, very calculated. You could tell everything that he's saying was rehearsed, you know? Like, even when he has that big moment with Rusty, and he's kind of saying why he's doing this, Right at the very end he says, I don't know, did I did that sound rehearsed? I I feel like I rushed it. Did I rush it? And then Rusty's just like, Yeah, you kinda rushed it a little bit, but it was good, you know? And and so you could tell even with people that he's super close with and definitely has a history with, he still rehearses just about everything. And he, he rehearses just about everything in this entire film, and you could tell that it's just all a part of the plan, except I would probably say one scene with Tess, and when, that's when he first uh, meets her for the, uh, after being in jail, and in the casino, and she's sitting in the restaurant, or whatever, to, um, or in the hotel, casino, whatever, I don't know, she's in the restaurant waiting for Terry, and he shows up, and he basically kind of starts delivering his lines, and she sees right through the bullcrap, and that's the only time that he gets flustered, I would say, like, truly flustered in the film, Uh, where something's not going exactly to plan because she's seeing through everything that he's saying and he loses it a little bit. And uh, I think, I can't remember the exact lines, but he's just like, all right, Tess, you know, you don't want me, that's fine, but not Terry. Like, you can't be with Terry or whatever he says. I don't know, that's the only time that he actually looks angry and uh, that he's out of control. Everything else is in his control. It's very interesting, I love it. Oh, I guess he gets flustered later on when uh, they're in the van trying to steal the EMP thing from the college or whatever it was. I don't know, the institute. I don't know. I have no idea. And he gets pretty mad at Linus. Linus. Uh, Which is totally understandable. I I mean, obviously, like if everything's going according to plan, he's totally calm and collected. If things are kind of out of his control and uh, didn't go exactly according to his plan, then he gets pretty frustrated. Which, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it's only those two parts. There's only two points in this entire film where things didn't go the exact way that he imagined it, which is very interesting. I love it. Even when he's in, in the same room as Terry and he's getting beat up later on, uh by that just you know beat beat up guy whatever his name is that thug that he ultimately hired i guess at the end um you know he kind of looks like he's out of control but he's not uh even but but even when he's you know in that moment of quote unquote un, like not being in control um in front of Terry you know he still is kind of producing his lines being a little witty um, it's, it's all according to his plan, which is just really interesting. And I love that about Danny. I think he's a really interesting character, um, fake, but not fake with Tess, which is good to know. Like his whole goal is to get Tess back and get a ton of money all in one go and just be the ultimate winner basically out of this. And, uh, he got that, but with, with Tess, it's, it's the only person that I think he's really able to be, himself with um and that's probably what he's looking for I don't know so I guess good for him let's move on to Rusty uh I love Rusty because he's just so he's so intimidating but so relaxed as well it's very interesting and he's bored all the time when he's not pulling a heist like you could tell anytime he's not actively working on the job he is bored out of his mind and he hates everything that he's doing you know teaching poker he's just kind of going through the motions for those uh celebrities and even when they're just kind of chilling in the bar watching whatever it was on TV and and Danny has that moment of like do you think we need one more you think we need one more All right, we'll get one more. (laughs) And he's just talking to himself, basically. Um, You could tell Rusty's just bored out of his mind. Even in the company of a friend or whatever, it doesn't matter. I think he's truly only excited when he's working on a job, which is probably why he was excited to see Danny uh, in the first place come out of the clink because he's able to—or he just kind of knows that something's something's about to happen, you know. He's going to go on a job soon, probably. He's going to be able to get his uh, life back, I guess, the life that he knows. Yeah, he only tr- he he truly enjoys the thrill of the heist, which is uh fun about Rusty, I think. Um he's very sure of himself, he's very confident, he's very wasteful with food, which is funny. And uh like I said before, he's very intimidating. I love Rusty. There's that moment later on when um uh Danny's been red flagged and Rusty is obviously going to have like a big, long uh, or heated conversation with Danny about how he's out or whatever. And he tells Saul to turn the TV off. And Saul's like, I'll turn it off when I'm ready to turn it off. And Rusty says, Saul, or whatever. And then, <laughs> and then Saul's like, okay, all right, I'm turning it off. Like even Saul, this old curmudgeonly guy who's definitely set in his ways and just wants what he wants even he's intimidated by Rusty which is just funny. I love it. And otherwise like Rusty's the most relaxed guy of all, but he's also the most important probably component of the entire thing. He's the one that's making sure that everything's running smoothly uh, th- throughout the entire job, which is great. Let's move on to Tess played by Julia Roberts. I guess I should have said Danny Ocean's played by George Clooney, Rusty Ryan's played by Brad Pitt and now Tess by Julia Roberts. Um elegant. She uh, she just wants, you know, true love, I think, and to kind of live her life, but also have security in that. Uh, she doesn't really like complicated, I don't think, but at the same time, she kind of does. I don't know, but she's also very observant. Again, like she's able to see through Danny's uh, bullcrap a lot of the time, and so she's she's not stupid, you know. She, she thinks about things. She can make callbacks, especially like when she's thinking of when Danny gives her that goodbye kiss on the cheek and uh, she thinks about it later and she's like oh that's when he slipped it slipped the phone into my pocket you know she's she's smart she's able to pick up on clues she's able to put things together i think she's she's a really cool character the only thing and i'll i'll, I'll channel my inner big t i guess the only thing about her is is she gives herself these these two options these t- only two options of people that she could possibly be with and that's terry and danny Both end with a Y, by the way. Very interesting. (laughs) Um, But both of them are kind of the same person, just in different ways, I would say, because Danny and Terry are both very calculated. They're very focused. Um, They're pretty calm most of the time. I think Terry loses his crap a little more, for sure. But, I mean, throughout the entire ending of the film, he's basically losing complete control over his night and his casino. Uh, So it's it's understandable. And he's kind of losing control over um, his his woman, I guess, and Tess, um, if you want to say that, I don't know, but, I don't know, it's just interesting, they're both kind of the same people, but one is, I don't know, doing stuff that's more legal than the other, I don't, (laughs) I don't really know, but, like, Terry really cares most about the money, and most about the casino, which we see in the ultimatum later on, brought on by Danny to try to you know that was his you know hail Mary or whatever to get Tess back basically um it was to show her that he cares more about his money than about her um but also Danny cares a lot about his money as well, but the th- difference is I guess danny Danny's gonna do everything that he can to make sure that he gets her and gets the money and he probably would choose her over the money, I would assume, otherwise he probably wouldn't have even tried doing any of that. Um, I don't think it would have mattered or whatever if he didn't get all the money. Even if it was all blown up or whatever, he would have been just fine, I think. Um, But I don't know. It's just interesting because I think both are complicated in their own ways. But she, I don't think she wants complicated. But at the same time, it's the only two people that she thinks that she can have. And when Terry chooses the money over her, she immediately thinks, oh, Danny then. Danny's the one I want. He like, he got me to see that Terry was a bad guy. For some reason, I need to go to Danny. And it's just like, dude, he still lied to you about being a thief. I don't think you need to go to Danny. You could probably find someone else. But maybe she cares about money too. Maybe she cares about the finer things. Maybe she enjoys the lifestyle of eating really good food too much and being able to go to art exhibits and... and um, Oh, what's the word? Um, being the oh the curator of an art museum maybe that's she's like oh danny's the only other person that has enough money to help me do that (laughs) i don't know i have no idea which is interesting because you see in oceans 12 if you've ever seen that um they kind of live a modest life so i don't know maybe they're just trying to lay low or something after the heist and, and stuff like that spoilers i guess but it's pretty much in the beginning of the film so it's not that big of a spoiler but I don't know. It's just interesting because she is elegant. I think as a as a human being, as a person, um, with her personality and stuff. So maybe maybe she wants someone who can give her that elegant lifestyle. I have no idea. And so Danny's the next logical option. And she doesn't have to look too far. Maybe she's more shallow than we think. I have no idea. But she she doesn't come across that way um, most of the time. We already kind of talked about Terry a little bit. Terry Benedict, played by Andy uh, Garcia. Yeah, there's not really much to say about him that I haven't said already. Very calculated, focused, very paranoid. Though he doesn't trust anyone. I guess that's the biggest difference. Like I think Danny only surrounds himself by people that he can trust a lot of the times. Uh, Terry tries to do that, but also like never trusts anyone that he's working with. That's why he is super involved in his casino. He, it's rarely there's rarely something that he that goes on in his casino that he's not involved with. And we see that a lot like with when he's handling the the valuables that Saul's uh uh character that he's kind of playing uh what's his name? Lyman? Zerga or something like that? Zerga, Zerga. He, you know, handles that personally until he can't because there's a conflict of of time or whatever that he has to get to that fight and, and whatnot. Um, and so I guess that's also the major difference. Like, Danny is not paranoid because he doesn't need to because he's too smart for that. I don't know. Uh, but Terry is always paranoid, and that's not worth it. And and that's true. Does Tess really want to be with a guy? Like, clearly, the whole, like, PDA thing is kind of uh, important to her in a relationship. And Terry refuses to because there's cameras watching. And it's just like, really? Does it really matter if you do a quick... A quick kiss if you're you know going out to go handle something else in the casino before you you know won't see her until tonight i don't know i don't know kind of uh kind of ridiculous a little bit but um so that's terry i would say linus caldwell played by matt damon uh linus is interesting because he's he kind of seems like a small character but at the same time he's kind of a big big character. He's sly, he's a great pickpocket, he's talented, he's young, he's cocky, unsure of himself, but thinks too highly of himself as well. He thinks that he's got to be involved in a lot of things. And again, we see that later with uh, stealing the EMP and Linus can't handle being with the Mormon twins anymore. And so he, he heads out of the van to go inside of the building to try to be a part of that, which is really stupid, by the way. Like they've already been in there for like a few minutes you really think you're going to go find them like in time you don't think you're going to accidentally be seen like I don't know why he was so cocky and uh so brash about that like this is such an important job and everything needs to go perfectly smooth and yet he's willing to put it away because he is so young and stupid and cocky and he thinks that he's got to be involved in it I mean he's got kind of reason to be because he's a great pit, like he's a great pickpocket like for sure but Um, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't earned it, though. And that's the thing. Like, he's constantly trying to prove himself, I think. And so he allows himself to do stupid things uh, to try to prove that he's capable. But he's not thinking ahead enough. He doesn't think, you know, five steps ahead like Danny is or Rusty is. He's only thinking, like, one, maybe two at the most steps ahead because he just wants what he wants. He's going to try to get it. That's the thing about Linus that I think is very interesting. Frank Catton, I really don't have much to say about him. I love Bernie Mac. Uh, he's great. Um, I used to watch the Bernie Mac show all the time. You know, Rest in peace, rip Bernie Mac, uh, uh, take it too soon. But the only thing that I really have about Frank Catton is he's assertive. <laughs> you see that with the head shaking thing when he's trying to negotiate the deal for the van in the first place to take the Actually, I don't even know what the van was for originally because I don't think they know that they needed to steal the EMP at that point. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, I could be wrong. But he's just very assertive and very intimidating, I think, with his physicality. And that's kind of his role um, later on as well with Linus when he's pretending to be a part of that whatever oh, the gaming commission or something like that. And uh, and he kind of asserts his dominance a little bit when he gets up out of the table about uh, the comment made by uh, of colored people by Linus, and and uh, and trying to make it seem like he's a huge threat, so Linus can try to run away and get away from him to allow him to pickpocket Terry and get his plans. Uh, do I necessarily know what those plans were for? I don't remember. <laughs> I just know that they needed it. Maybe it was a code or something so that they could get into the, that's probably what it was. It's probably a security code or something so they can get it to the vault um, door that rotates to get to the real vault door. I don't know, whatever, the entrance, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's Frank Catton in a nutshell. There's really not much to say about him. He goes back with uh, Danny and that's pretty much it I would say about him. Ruben Tishkoff, uh, played by Elliot Gould. Love this character. He's so ridiculous. He's so over the top. He's very extravagant, gaudy. Which is funny because um, he, like, he is like the definition of gaudy, I would say, with his whole personality and his wardrobe and whatever. Uh, but he's also pissed off that Terry's taken down one of his casinos for some gaudy monstrosity or whatever he says. And I'm like, dude, you are the gaudy monstrosity. I don't know <laughs> what are you talking about. You ridiculous man. But you can tell he's got it out for Danny. I mean, or sorry, not Danny, but Terry. I mean the whole point of Reuben I is I think to provide them with the funds that they need to carry out this job but that's pretty much it he's just kind of there and floating around and having a good time I guess and he just wants to see Terry go down that's pretty much it because he's got a he's got some beef I guess with Terry I can't remember what exactly I should have written that down but um but he's he's got some funny lines here and there and I I enjoy his personality for sure Let's move on to Virgil Malloy, played by Casey Affleck, one of the Mormon twins, and we could just bring in Turk Malloy as well, uh, played by Scott Con. Uh, I have the exact same things <laughs> written down for them. They're both goofballs. They're talented. Uh, they know how to get the job done, and they're very excitable. <laughs> and they just they can't stand each other, which is great. Um, I love their interactions the most, probably because it's just the most ridiculous stuff that set them off all the time, they just get so mad at each other and that's literally their entire goal is, uh, or their entire point to the plan, to the job itself is most of the time when they need to get something done, like if they need to get something through security, they just have those guys throw some kind of huge fit or fight with each other and uh, that allows people to just kind of get frustrated enough that they'll just kind of let things slide if they need to, which is just, it's great. Um, I love those two. They're a couple of my favorite characters for sure. And I love when we first meet them as well. Uh, when they they they've pulled the job, they have a, a bunch of money or whatever. The Turk character, which is the more muscular, I guess, of the twins um played by scott Kahn. he's got like his big monster truck or whatever and then you got the younger brother or not younger brother they're twins but well who knows which one's younger i don't know but virgil though the skinnier one and he's got his rc car or whatever that's the exact same and basically to kill time they're just he he gets like an rc car that's just as fast as the as the uh big monster truck which is just hilarious and it's just a fun way and they're racing and and the RC car is keeping up with them, and then Turk just totally cheats and just rams into it and wastes <laughs> probably thousands of dollars, maybe even tens of thousands of dollars. I have no idea how much that RC car is worth. Uh to get that fast, I would assume it's pretty expensive though. At least a few few thousand dollars, I'd say. But love those characters, love them, love them to, to pieces. Uh, Basher Tar, played by John Don Cheadle. Interesting thing. Reading through the what's it called? The trivia a little bit. Um, he uh, he wanted more, like he wanted to be higher up on the uh, credits, but they wouldn't do it or whatever, and so he refused to be credited. Period. And I was looking into that because I was trying to get all the characters and actors and stuff for this written down here, and it took me forever to find him. I was so surprised because this is Don Cheadle we're talking about. He's been in a lot of notable films, um, and obviously he's been a huge part of the MCU for the past you know decade, and. It's just it's just crazy that I had to scroll so far down in IMDb just to get cuz I couldn't I I just wanted to get Bashers' last name because I was just curious and I just couldn't find him forever and I finally found him and then of course reading the trivia he refused to be credited so that was that was really weird to to not see him way higher up but, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is. But I actually really like Bastry. He's a fun-loving character, very professional, very intuitive. He definitely likes working with smart people. Uh, when we first are introduced to him and he's talking to Rusty and they're kind of escaping a little bit after he's getting um, getting arrested for one of the jobs that he's, be- that he's pulling. At that same time, he kind of ex- shares with Rusty that he's excited to work with proper villains again. And I think that's... That's just a big he he probably lives for the job as well he likes highest that he loves feeling like he's probably got a one up on whatever he's you know stealing from and and uh very, again very professionally and he really wants things to work out perfectly and and uh and is is super excited to work with these guys again, knowing that the job's gonna get done and it's gonna get done properly hey good you know good on him for getting getting uh what's the word? I don't know. Whatever, like sprung out of the tight situation, <laughs> he was almost gonna get put away for robbing this bank or whatever, and uh, Rusty shows up right in the nick of time. I don't know how he pulled that off, but he did. Livingston Dell, played by Emmy, sorry Eddie Jemison, Jemison, I don't know. Livingston funny character he's he's so nervous and very accident prone he's very smart but kind of stupid like at the same time like there's just like really um basic just kind of like common sense things that he doesn't think about but he is very smart and very capable and it's interesting to see because when we first meet him he's very um shy and just like kind of bashful and very unsure of himself well not unsure of himself but like I don't know like he's just uh just a very nervous guy uh, when he's doing that c i a thing or whatever's going on with those people in the van monitoring someone and uh and then towards the end of the show, he's you know kind of cracking jokes here and there, playing little little pranks and stuff. I think he kind of cracks a joke at Linus a little bit when he's waiting for his you know cue or whatever to go in as the gaming commission person and uh so that's kind of fun to see him just kind of loosen up a little bit probably because things are going pretty well. Um, But he does a great job and he's very, uh, very capable, I'd say, except for like, I mean, probably our first moment where we're like, oh, shoot, like, thank goodness he didn't mess that up or the guard didn't decide to, you know, look into it a little bit more when he's trying to put in all of his gadgets and stuff to hook into the system for the, the security monitors for the casinos and all that stuff in the first place, like, he just looks so nervous, and he almost loses his way, he wipes down, I mean, number one, like, why write down the the navigation to get out of this, <laughs> this, like, uh back uh hallway and all that stuff in order to, I don't know, like, just to get out of there, like, it's just so, I don't know, he's just, he's kind of dumb sometimes, and, but like the guard is curious as to like why he was coming out of that room in the first place and kind of looks into it a second, but for some reason is decides to let it slide. But that's like the first moment where it's like, oh my gosh. Like they almost lost it all right there. <laughs> and uh, somehow they caught a lucky break. It's just crazy. I love that scene. Um, very intense, super intense. Let's move on to Yin, played by Xiaobo Keen. Again, he's just talented. Um, as far as what his skill set is uh <laughs> he's he's able to perform some cool acrobatics to accomplish whatever he's supposed to do uh to to be in the vault in the first place and not touch the ground uh, I don't know uh there's really not much to say about him i I think really the only thing because we don't really get an insight on his character at all we don't really know what his reasoning for this is we don't know if he's trying to you know support his family or Whatever, he's just kind of there to do to, to the job, basically. And, you know, maybe his role was super minimal because of the language barrier. I have no idea. He wasn't an actor. So maybe it was just like, well, we just need him for the acrobatics. That's pretty much it. Uh, we don't need to write a whole backstory for him or anything like that. But I love. I I, I do love just the whole thing with him and Rusty and how, for some reason, like, he can understand, like, English perfectly, but he can't speak a lick of English. And then Rusty can understand, like, Japanese perfectly. Or what is he? Is it Japanese or actually Chinese? Yeah, I don't know. But he can't speak it at all. I just love that little touch. It's such a small, dumb little thing. And it makes no sense. Well, maybe it does make sense, actually. I mean, it's easier to understand than to speak sometimes, for sure. Or to read than to speak. I don't know. But I just think it's a really funny thing. Like, no one else knows what's being said at all. And it's just Rusty, like, basically having a conversation with him behind the scenes. And Yen's like, all right. Okay. Uh, So that's fun. That's Yen. Uh, And then Saul Bloom, last person we're going to talk about, uh, played by Carl Reiner. I love this guy. He's super perceptive. He's very sharp. He's he's simple. He he just wants the simple things in life. I think he doesn't really need too much. When we first meet him, you know, he's talking about how he's seeing a nice lady behind the counter of Macy's or what the jewelry counter or whatever. I don't I don't remember, but um, he's just like an old guy set in his ways. But uh, I love even even though he's. He's old. He's still very sharp. You know, he's he's on top of his game still, even though he's been out for like a year or whatever. I think Rusty says in the film. Um, He noticed Rusty a long time ago when he was scoping him out to see if he wanted to be in the job. Um, And it's it's awesome that they have that whole like just kind of being really vague with what's going on with this character to the audience, um, thinking that. You know, he's he's slowly losing it a little bit and having some health problems and he faints, you know, later on when he's watching all of his valuables go into the vault and uh, he faints and stuff. And you think like, uh oh, what's going on with like, this is not good. Like, I think we need him (laughs) still and Saul's not on top of it. What is going on? Um, and before the, like right before the job, he kind of looks like he's having some major problems and stuff, but, you know, come to find out, he's probably just getting into character and he's really diving into it and, and, uh, and, and really becoming, um, Lyman Zerga. Uh, uh, I don't know. He's super sharp. You know, he's got his methods and he knows exactly what he's doing and he's, he's awesome. I love Saul. So that's all the characters (laughs) 37 minutes in uh I don't know how how long I mean I've actually mentioned a lot of the things that uh just going through the characters themselves um but typically next I go through or I write down subtle details, things that I noticed um I love the the answers that Danny gives and the exit evaluation from the prison at the beginning like the the very intro of the film um I love it because You could tell that everything that he's saying, like he's probably thought about for a long time since he's been there. I mean, he's probably he's been planning the whole job since he's been there for however many years. I don't remember a couple of years or something like that. And um, at least I have no idea, but you could just tell that everything's rehearsed. Very, very cool, subtle detail, because like every like he knows what the questions that he's going to be asked And just without skipping a beat, he just answers, like, right away. I mean, maybe that's just the way that they shot it or whatever, but that's how I choose to see it, is that he knew exactly what he was doing and exactly what he was saying so that he can get out and, uh, you know, not be denied his opportunity to get out of prison on parole. I love the way that the camera stays on the ring when Danny gets it out of the envelope when he's leaving the prison. Um, I don't know. It just kind of shows me that that's his primary focus with everything, all the events that are gonna happen from then on. His primary focus is getting Tess back, which is awesome. Uh, the newspaper clipping that Danny is looking at while he's waiting for Ramon slash Frank uh, to to get off of uh, work or whatever. Um, when he when we first meet Frank Canton. You could tell that this is something that he looks at often. It's it's a clipping, right? Like, he doesn't have the whole newspaper. He's not actually checking up on current events like Frank is wondering. Like, he's got it cut out. He's looking at Terry, and it's probably a part of the plan as well. He's probably looking at it like, oh, okay. Like, there's a fight night. I didn't read it. I should have read it, but I bet, I bet like, in the clipping or whatever, it says that there's a fight night, and that's like, that's the time. That's when I'm going to pull this job. Fight night which is just, I don't know, I just thought it was really cool and neat little... Like, he could have just had a full newspaper, but he had the clipping, which I thought was a cool little subtle detail. I love I love when Danny uh, gets back with Rust uh, when they're doing the whole thing with the celebrity poker, um, teaching them and all that stuff. And you could tell, like, when, da- when Rust walks in and he looks at Danny and Danny kind of looks at him, you think it's like, oh, like like, they must have, like, a bad history. Like, maybe they have a negative history with each other and it's going to be a little you know, Oh, what's going to happen or whatever. But later on when they basically swindle all the celebrities to play big on that hand at the very end. And Danny ends up having like a four of a kind or something like that, uh, with the ACE, which is pretty high. <laughs> That's how he says it. You could tell that that was actually, that was them basically giving each other the look like, let's clean these guys out <laughs> so they can get a bunch of money and, uh, go eat out somewhere super nice. I, I don't know. I just thought that was a nice little touch. I, I, you know, this is really stupid, but for some reason, I was impressed by the fact that they actually had ink stains on Livingston's forehead uh, when he's like wiping his forehead and stuff. Like as he's walking out, he has the ink stains. You could tell, and uh, so it was just like a nice little touch that they actually included that instead of just like, like the continuity was there, which I was which I was happy to see. Oh, I also love when when Danny shows up uh, in that restaurant when Tess is waiting for Dar- uh, Terry and sees Danny for the first time when she starts saying, uh, that, you know, oh, I was starting to get worried. I was going to put out a search party or whatever for you. And she's turning around and she looks at Danny's hand and she sees the ring and she knows instantly that it's him because her face drops like immediately. She was happy. She was excited to see Terry. And right when she sees that ring, she knows it in an instant. And her, her face, uh, you know, turns to a frown and she's just not excited for what's about to happen. She knows that she's pissed and she's just going to lay into Danny or he's going to come at her with some bull crap. I don't know. But I thought that that was a really cool detail. Um, and then I, I love at the end, I love how, like, I don't have any subtle details for a long time at the end. (laughs) It goes all the way from when Tess sees Danny for the first time, all the way to the very end with the SWAT team. Uh, everyone's so chill when they are saying their lines as a SWAT team pretending to like get the thieves they're like oh I think someone's down here get him out get him out or whatever and then they start shooting like you it sounds like they're yelling but when you look at their faces they're just reading lines and I just love you know I love that it's like they they knew the plan so well that you know, they, it was just completely mindless at that point. It wasn't them trying to remember what's going on. You just see them just like mindlessly delivering these lines so that they can at least have it over the voice recording when they're trying to, you know, perform the job as quote unquote, the SWAT team and get the thieves and stuff. It's just kind of funny. But that's, that's all the subtle details that I had. Um, there's probably a lot more. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I just stopped looking for subtle details, I guess. I don't know. I have too many note uh, sections. And I should probably cut down on some of them. Yeah, let's see here. Oh, yeah. So this is just funny. I love throughout the entire film that Rust... These are random thoughts that I had. I love how Rust is like eating or drinking something in like every single shot, basically. He's either got a drink or he's eating a burger or something. And uh, I was I was curious. It's like, why is that like what? Like, I don't know. Was that just some funny little thing that Ted uh, Griffin wanted to include in the writing? Because that's ingenious, you know, just to have this dumb, funny little thing that the audience can notice, you know, as they I think that's really cool to fit that kind of stuff in. But actually, <laughs> in uh, in just about every scene he's eating in, according to Brad Pitt, this is because the whole gang um, would be so busy that they'd rarely be able to eat. It was decided that Rusty would just eat all the time. Now, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, when it refers to whole gang in the trivia, I'm not sure if that necessarily means, like, the actors or if that's just supposed to be the people. So maybe, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep the dream alive. I think they're actually talking about the characters. I think that was a written thing of, like, All the characters, like in reality, would be so busy doing everything that they're supposed to be doing that they're just eating on the go constantly, and that's him. That's him to a T. He's just always eating on the go because he's always on the go, trying to figure out something for whatever. But I do love at the very end, though, uh, when he's waiting for Danny to get out of prison after the job, and he's eating a burger or something, and uh, he takes a bite, and he's just kind of chewing and stuff, and then he kind of like puts his fist up to his chest like oh like geez like it's finally all caught up to him like he's been eating so much garbage over the past however long it took to prepare for everything that he's just it, it all finally caught up to him and he's getting heartburn and it's just like I don't know if I could take this also like like I said with his character he's super wasteful of food like I don't think he ever finishes a single food item he eats about half of it and then he throws the rest away which is just funny. Like, you could tell that this guy lives so frivolously. Like, money is no object. They probably don't even really need to pull this job at all. And, uh, you know, he's just going to eat half of it. And when he's done eating, he's going to throw it away, which is funny. Oh, yeah. And then I wanted to, like, it's just at the end when uh, when they need to get Yen in that uh, bin or whatever, like, I don't know, that container, when they need to get him into the vault, the whole pl- <laughs> everything's so calculated, but everything hinges on getting Yen in there. And basically it comes down to the Mormon twins forgetting their card <laughs> and throw in such a fit that the the person standing at the door to get them in is just like, Alright, okay, chill out. You forgot your card. It is what it is. Like, just tell me where it needs to go and I'll take care of it. Man, like that's that's a little I mean that's kind of a plot hole. I think that at a, like especially on a fight night where they're ke- keeping one hundred and sixty million dollars in the casino, I you'd think that like. <laughs> they would be like no you got to go get the card we need proof that you are able to get in cuz that's there's no way that we're going to just take this wherever you need it to go like we like let's get verbal confirmation confirmation from Terry Benedict that this is actually his stuff and that it actually needs to go in there i don't know i just think it's interesting but you know whatever like there's so many other like perfectly planned things in this whole heist from the, a writing perspective that i think it's uh that's that's something that i could suspend my be- Uh, disbelief for that's all the random thoughts that I had let's move on to random questions which I only have a couple actually the first one is "Is there is there any significance behind the code words Rust uses for the types of con men they need and uh, I was just so curious about that and I wanted to see Big T's take on that but um, I was able to find it online in the beginning of Ocean's Eleven Rusty tells Danny they will need a Boski, a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethros, and a Leon Spinks. not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. These are references to old cons from the 20th century, and Rusty just gave away how they will rob the casino. Now, I didn't actually look into those, but if you guys want to look into those references of the old cons, I'm not entirely sure of really any of them <laughs> to be honest but I'll probably check that out later but that's kind of cool but yeah I guess if you look into those like you could probably yeah unlock exactly how they're gonna rob the casino which is very interesting now here's some deep questions which this is actually the the part that I'm most bummed about with Big T not being able to join me uh, maybe I'll actually I could save these for when he's there I don't know I'll go ahead and post them here in case that doesn't happen though is Danny incapable of not rehearsing everything he does? I don't think so. I think he absolutely has to know how everything's going to go. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, um, he's just going to be another guy just living his life. And I, get, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but he does not want to be that. He wants to have like some insane, awesome plan. He wants the life that he's always wanted or whatever, whatever that. Like, obviously, that just pretty much consists of having tests and anything af- after that is probably an afterthought. But but to get everything that he needs and wants, like, even with people that he's close to, he's worked with Basher, I think, before. He's worked with Rusty many times, I'm sure, and uh, probably Saul and whatever, and the Mormon twins. He knows of the Mormon twins. I mean, these are people that he knows and he's worked with before, probably, um, but even in front of them, he's rehearsing everything. And, you know, after having so much time in prison, it's probably understandable. Like, he's probably just missed so much of his life in prison, however long that was, I can't remember, that uh, he's not going to risk um, every, like anything going um, not according to plan. So I guess it makes sense. I don't know maybe after the job he doesn't really rehearse anything after that and i guess if you if you watch the later films like with oceans 12 and stuff i don't i don't think that he's really as rehearsed i think he's more chill and just kind of a normal human being just trying to figure stuff out or whatever and he actually has normal conversation and kind of talk small talk whereas in this he's he's always talking about the job pretty much and it's it's understandable especially after all that time being in in prison uh, the next question that I have is, why does Rusty surround himself in everyday life with dumb and careless people? Again, like, he, he tells Danny when he comes first comes to see him, like, oh, I'm bored. Like, I'm so bored. Like, you could just tell, like, he'd really, I don't know. It's just interesting. Like, why does he surround himself with people that he doesn't really respect? Like, even Topher Grace, like, he just does not, he doesn't really care about any of the celebrities that he's teaching poker to. You know, he's just kind of there, just doing you know the daily thing when he's on break he's just in the strip club just sitting and having a drink looking bored out of his mind watching strippers and you could tell that that is he's totally numb to that he doesn't even care he's just kind of there because maybe at some point in his life like he did enjoy that but he doesn't enjoy it anymore and he's just so bored it's all about the job for him um, but why does he surround himself by, with dumb people? I don't know. Maybe it's just not capable. Maybe he's not capable of finding people that challenges himself in everyday life. He can only find people that challenges him and you know that he really actually enjoys being around when he's on the job. Maybe it's got to be heist people or no people. I have no idea. But yeah, you, I don't know. I have no idea. It would be interesting to get Big T's take on that. Do you think any plan could ever have worked on a night that wasn't fight night? So this is something that I was thinking. I never have thought. I've seen this movie, like, over a dozen times, guaranteed. And this was the first time that I'm like, I don't think this plan or any plan could have ever worked unless it was on fight night. Like, it's funny because Danny's pitching it to everyone when they first get together to go over the plan in the first place of how they're going to rob the casinos and stuff and basically the hurdles that they have to jump over to accomplish that goal and and he's kind of pitching like oh like normally it's like 30 million dollars on a normal night on a weekend night it's 60 million but on a fight night it's 160 million or whatever the numbers are and you think that he's just trying to pitch this to them to you know get them to be like oh yeah I want to be a part of that for sure to make sure that they you know, join in the job in the first place, but honestly, I don't think it's possible with Terry Benedict. He is so involved. There's no way, there's no way that he wouldn't have noticed something going on because the whole fight night, he's scrambling to get to the fight, right? And everything is hitting him all at once. And he's, he's weary the whole time. Like every single hurdle that he has to jump over to get to the fight, Terry does. He he, questions it somehow. He questions Linus or whatever when he comes out of nowhere to talk about Freight Catton and all that stuff. and Or Ramon, I guess, at that point. They don't know that he's Frank Catton. And he asks him a question, a personal question about the Gaming Commission, like from where he works or whatever, about a person, you know, like, oh, how do you enjoy working with them? And then Linus, thank goodness he did his homework and remembered his homework that, uh, that whoever the guy that he was referen that Terry was referencing in the first place, uh, was actually dead, and so like you could tell that he was a little cautious, Terry was over at Linus, like, Oh, I don't know if he's really from the gaming commission, I don't know if I could trust him because this is weird that I have this thing that I have to worry about, you know, that, um, on Fight Night and also before that with Lyman Zerga, uh, having almost been called out, or basically being called out by someone in the casino, recognizing him as Saul, and he goes ahead and, you know, tells uh, the Mormon twits or whatever who are acting as his bodyguards to take him away, and... And you could tell that Terry's like, hmm, I don't know, that's super weird. But he's so, like, he has to get to that fight that he's like, I'm not going to question it. Like, I got to get going. Let's just go ahead and take care of this and get this done now. He says that he doesn't trust him, but he still lets it go anyway. And I think any other night he would have said, no, like, we're not going to do that. I don't care if you're a high roller. Like, you. I don't trust you. We're not going to take care of your jewels or whatever it is. Um, And then later on, uh, when Linus forgets his something, his briefcase or whatever from uh, from the room that they were just coming from when they were interrogating or, or confronting Frank Catten. And he says that he needs to go back for that. But Terry, like basically banking on the idea that Terry's going to be so busy and he has to get to that fight that he'll just let him find his way on, back on his own. And that allows Linus to be able to go into the elevator and climb through the shaft so that he can get to the vault in the first place. So I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting. Like it, there's so many things that were going really weird for Terry and any other night, I don't think this would have worked. I think there's no way, no, no chance that this would have worked on any other night except for fight night. So great coincidence or great, you know, great thing for the oceans 11, great thing for the team they get the biggest haul of their life. And coincidentally, that's the only night where this plan would have even worked in the first place. I mean, who knows, maybe they would have just come up with another plan on a regular night. I have no idea. But either way, I just don't think that this could have happened any other night. Let's go through some favorite moments. Um, You know, a lot of the times I write favorite moments that are like big moments or something like that. But my favorite moments from this movie are all mostly quotes or just things that have happened. And I love, let's start with the first one. uh, When Rusty is uh, teaching poker and and to the celebrities and he's walking back with Topher and uh, Topher's just like, oh, I was talking to my manager and Rusty says, Bernie? And Topher says, no, not Bernie, my business manager. Actually, they're both named Bernie. Anyway, (laughs) I just think it's such a stupid, (laughs) it's just so stupid. I love it. Uh, And then another part, when Rusty is on his break or whatever, and, and the, the the teaching poker and the bartender's just asking him about how things are going or whatever, and then Rusty's like the Rusty says the longest la- hour of my life, and the bartender says what, <laughs> and Rusty says I'm running away with your wife, <laughs> and the bartender's like great, I just think it's so clever, just funny and ridiculous. I don't know. That's I mean this mo- this movie's full of like stupid lines, but at the same time they're just. I don't know. It just fits and it works, and it's, it just comes across as clever. Instead, I love the usage of the song "Take My Breath Away" in the montage of the previous casino robbery attempts. I think that that's hilarious, and the guy's like running away and he gets shot, and it's just like the perfect timing. I love that the twins argue about everything. It's just so good. Like the whole the whole Balloon Boy thing. It's just so funny. It's a oh, Balloon Boy, Balloon Boy. Like their arguments are ridiculous, and I love when they're still in the EMP and. Uh, they just they have that stupid, stupid like kid fight where it's just like you touching me, like stop touching me, and then they just go like they just have a back and forth for a second, and then they just stop talking and start fighting each other. It's just hilarious. oh, I love when Rusty is meeting with that entertainer, the stripper or whatever, and uh trying to get that card of that security guard guy for Livingston because Livingston needs that card or whatever in order to get into the back to hook into the system. And Rusty just like, say hi to your mom for me. And the dancer says, uh, say it yourself. She'll be on stage in five minutes. <laughs> oh, man. And then Rust is just, he has this concerned look on his face and then he just leaves. He's like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, I guess this is like the one favorite moment maybe that's not just a funny thing. I I think it's one of the best lines or or exchanges of uh, exchange of lines in the entire film where Danny is meeting with Tess for the first time and just having that back and forth argument. And Danny's just like, does he make you laugh and Tess, immediately without skipping a beat says he doesn't make me cry. Oh my gosh. What a, what a perfect line and delivery. Like it's, it's perfect. The timing, the delivery, it was just absolutely perfect. And, uh, I don't know, one of the best lines. Uh, Probably, to me, the best line of the film. I think it's great. And then the last funny thing that I love is uh, when Basher covers his privates. (laughs) When he's getting ready to set off the EMP, he just has no idea what the effects are going to be, and he's so close to this thing. He's like, I'm going to cover up my stuff (laughs) in case something happens because I'm a little worried about that. Okay, next section. Important moments. I love when Benedict is introduced. Uh we see that he that everything he does is calculated, like uh Linus even says that like he says that he's a machine, you know there's nothing that goes on in his hotel that he doesn't know that he doesn't oversee personally most of the time and uh so i I don't know it's just really cool to see that just kind of parallel between Danny and Terry, like they're both so calculated and they're both on top of everything but um Benedict kind of does it out of o c d and being more paranoid and danny just knows that it has to be done the exact way because it's the job and if it doesn't go exactly to plan then who knows what's going to happen and you can't have things out of control <laughs> to the plan otherwise it's just going to fall apart i love the part where rusty is like okay here's the problem now we're stealing two things and when push comes to shove which are you going to choose and danny says everything goes to plan then i won't be the one who has to make that choice man oh what a good what a good spot like i don't know danny he's just such an interesting character i've said it already but man he's just he really knows what he's doing like there's like he's got it all under control you know everything goes to plan and everything did go to plan for the most part i mean the amazing yen almost got screwed over with the bomb thank goodness the batteries weren't even installed in the remote holy smokes at the end when they're blowing the thing up uh yen almost died that day i'll tell you what (laughs) He would have been dead 100%. And, uh, you know, that wouldn't have happened if Linus didn't try to go in and steal the MP. And then Yen is trying to close the doors and uh, slam, the, the, one of the doors slams on his hand and messes it up. And so they put a, you know, cast thing or whatever over it and uh, or bandages and, and that got stuck in the door. Like, I don't know, things could have gone so wrong in that moment. But, man, I mean, most mostly everything went to plan. Uh, And then when Danny gets red flagged and changes the plans for Linus uh, and they give the kid a shot, that's a big moment for Linus. You know, he really gets that opportunity. Because up until then, he's just kind of doing some generic stuff and tailing people and just uh, basically giving everyone the schedule of how everything needs to operate and whatnot. And um, but they give him the chance to really pull off the big guns. And so the only thing about that part, though, is like clearly it was a part of the plan. This is kind of a plot hole. It was part of the plan to have Frank be outed um, as Frank in the casino. And who, who was... Like, they kind of make you believe that Danny was supposed to be the one that was going to meet up with Terry in the first place and basically uh, pretend to be the Gaming Commission person. But, um, man, like, what... How How could that have possibly... I mean, it's a little bit of a plot hole. It's not a huge deal, but it's just like... They ask Linus like, "Oh, like you think you're up for it, kid?" Um, And he's just like, "Oh, yeah, I could do it." And it's like, "Well, who else were you gonna get to do it? Because <laughs> otherwise, it probably just would have been Danny. Maybe Rusty. I guess I have no idea. But Rusty had to be the doctor too. I don't. I don't know. So I don't know. It's just interesting to me. I can't imagine it would have been anyone else other than Linus. I think maybe that uh was a part of the well it was a part of the plan like they, they both rusty and danny knew that that was what was going to happen but it's just funny that no one else thought like oh like danny can't handle this because <laughs> danny is pro- is like too close to Tess and and also um i guess they didn't find out until that point when he did get red flagged. but um but terry probably would have known about danny like if he's dating Tess, like you think that Danny would have already known that. It's like, oh, I can't. I can't be that guy. So, I don't know. It's just a weird thing, I think. So, obviously, like, you know, they knew what was up, but Linus didn't know, and all the rest of the people didn't know what was up. All right. Well, that's pretty much most of the notes that I have. I'll just run through some trivia. Also, I might actually get rid of this segment a little bit. Like, I'll write down some trivia to to bring up um, throughout the show, but I think if I don't get to something from now on, uh, when Big T's back, I'll probably just cut whatever's left because if it didn't come up in the show, then it's not really that interesting probably. But I'll I'll go through a couple of these things right now as the last time that I really go through the trivia section. So something that I noticed, this wasn't actually in IMDb or whatever that I'd noticed, but Ruben was in the background when, uh, you know, crap was hitting the fan during the fight when like the lights went out and stuff like that. And Terry's just like, all right, like get your coat, to test and they're trying to leave because everything's going crazy inside the the room where the fight's being held and stuff like that and obviously he's got to go take care of his hotel or his casino and uh reuben was in the background which was just really interesting he wanted to see the look on his face of terry's face when things started like really going to crap and so i thought that that was an interesting little uh trivia item or little detail i guess that could have been a subtle detail. Also, Matt Damon said the scene at the fountain was the last thing they shot, and oddly, it was emotional. I like that. I don't know. I, I like the idea that the most sentimental or emotional shot was actually the last one that was done anyway. So you probably got some pretty authentic, you know, looks from these people. They've been working on this film for however long and got so close to each other that, uh, you know, I I, th- I think that that final shot is just amazing. And uh, or that final scene, I guess, where they're all at the fountain um and de uh, Loon's going on in the background, and uh, they just been through so much, and they did all that planning, and finally they got it, and it all paid off, and they just kind of slowly leave and go their separate ways, and it's kind of sad. I remember the first time watching this film, which, I mean, I was probably nine or whatever, but, like, I had such a good time watching the film, and then that song in the background, coupled with them just each leaving one by one, or you know, a couple at a time, or whatever, it was—it was actually pretty sad to me. I was—I just remember thinking, like, ah, oh, man, it can't be over, you know? I mean, lucky, lucky for me, *Oceans* twelve came out a couple of years later, or whatever, so that was great. But yeah, great, great uh, little trivia item there. And then uh, also, I just wanted to include this because we covered. The Godfather. The Malloy twins, played by Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn, are also named Virgil and Turk, respectively. This is a callback to the villain, Virgil, the Turk, Solazzo, from The Godfather. Uh, Scott Kahn's father, James Kahn, played Santino, Sonny Cor- Corleone, whose exchange with Solazzo led to his father's attempted assassination. So I thought that was a cool little, you know. Uh, Easter egg, I guess, for the Godfather fans. So that's that's pretty cool. I didn't even notice that when I was because th- they always refer to them as the Mormon twins or whatever or the twins. Blah blah blah. I think they say maybe Virgil once, but I don't even know if they ever say Turk ever. <laughs> I have no idea. I could be wrong, but I, I I don't think that they ever say Turk at all. So I thought that that was a cool little thing. So I'm gonna give my accolades. Sometimes I don't have too much to give, uh, or like I don't I don't think of anything to really give as accolades but this one man I, I just thought that it was so masterful again this is one of my favorite films of all time so I guess I'm gonna be biased and have a lot of accolades to give but I think it's one of the greatest opening sequences that i in a movie ever with the music you know oh the music is so good by the way the the, the composer um uh let's see here David Holmes oh my gosh like absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant I just think, you know, just that that little thing that I already did earlier. Oh, it's so good. It's incredible. And I just love, like, with that exit interview or evaluation or whatever, when Danny's leaving prison and the person asks, like, what will you do when you're released from prison? And basically, Danny's – we don't get his answer right there, but the rest of the movie is the answer, and I just think that that's brilliant. You know, what a great way to, like, open the film, I think. Um, I love the conversation between everyone. I think I've already talked about this, but it's just like, I don't know. Everything sounds so natural. There's a specific thing that I think I wanted to call out is how they're in the factory putting everything together. I think putting the fake uh, vault together and then Linus is a little frustrated that he doesn't get to do something bigger and Danny's just like, you got to run before you crawl or whatever. And then Rusty's just like reverse that. And it's just like this funny little, like that didn't need to be in there. Danny could have just said, oh, you got to crawl before you walk or whatever. But they choose to do it in a different way where Rusty has to correct him. And it's just like this, you know, like that's how it would have gone. And I think it's really funny and uh, clever and just great writing, I think. I love the shot when everyone's looking out the van door, uh, looking, trying to find Linus when they're still in the EMP. I think it's such, uh, it's just a great shot. Everyone's framed perfectly. I think it's great. And and again, I've already said before. Like the the heist itself was like already incredibly webbed and super complex and crazy. But the editing is just so brilliant. Um, I guess let's get some accolades to the editor. I think uh, Stephen Mirion, Mirion. I don't know. <laughs> but holy smokes, like he knew what he was doing for sure. Holy smokes, it's just incredible. Just like having one part of the plan. Being shown in the background as the previous part is coming to a close, it's just oh, it's ingenious. I think it's just great. I don't know. And then of course, like it's kind of a lot of vague things going on in the whole job that the audience, you know, a lot of information that the audience really isn't privy to, and like you could see this like first you think Rusty really kicked Danny off the job, but in reality. You know, Danny. Like this was a part of the plan, so Linus would. Maybe that was the only frame of mind that Linus could have performed well in, is under pressure or something like that. I don't know. And then you think that Danny was just saying goodbye to Tess, but in reality, he was putting the phone in her pocket so that she can get called by Rusty later, so that so that Terry could get the phone and and know what was going to go on with the SWAT team or, or not the SWAT team, but uh, with the casino people that deliver the bags and stuff like that. You think Saul was really having a heart attack uh, until you see Rusty, and then you know it was a part of the plan. Um, you realize the SWAT team was actually actually Ocean's Eleven, and uh, you think that everything got blown up, but in reality, the SWAT team had the bags of cash the whole time, and that was the whole plan. Ah, oh, man. Oh, and then you get the big reveal after Terry notices that the Bellagio, like, writing wasn't on the floor, and you realize that everything was a setup in the first place, that that whole thing was actually happening, like, maybe a week ago or whatever, before they knew that the Bellagio writing was on the bottom of the vault. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just, like every, like, the audience is totally in on it until like the last half hour where however long the heist is going on for and it's just oh it's so ingenious I think I think they're brilliant and I think the editing and the writing was just absolutely brilliant and uh, again that ending sequence with the fountain and clarity loo and it's just like what a great cap to the whole movie I I don't know they just they blew it out of the park man they like they hit it out of the park with this one uh, blew it out of the water whatever you want to say I have no idea but it's just masterful film in my opinion I think perfectly executed in so many ways. Of course, some of the acting's a little touch and go with a couple of characters or actors, but for the most part, it's just ingenious. I mean, yeah, Brad Pitt's like smiling most of the time in the film. Who knows if he was breaking character, but it, it works for Rusty because he's having the time of his life uh, pulling off this heist. And, uh, I don't know. I've, of course, if you've made it through the whole show without, listening or watching the show in the first place, I don't know why you would do that, but please, please go watch it. You got to watch it. I think, uh, ah, it's just a brilliant film. And, uh, I, I, I doubt that your life would be any worse off after watching this. If anything, it it would be better. So anyway, that's Ocean's 11. Those are all my notes. Maybe it was, uh, boring to go through my notes in order. I have no idea but without having a back and forth between me and Big T or Big T and I I think it's a uh, a little odd to try to do that myself so I thought I'd just go in order but yeah that's how I do my notes I I, uh, I don't need to explain it I just went through it all um anyway so yeah Ocean's 11 check it out again I think it's streaming on HBO Max at the time that I'm recording this and Uh, so check it out if you already have HBO Max check it out for sure if not it's totally worth the buy I would say as well a a perfect or a great movie to add to your collection absolutely but why don't I let you know what movie we're going to be covering next month um, on let's see here let's see here August 1st wow this may be the first time that an episode actually goes out on the 1st cool August 1st baby Is uh, the next episode coming out uh, with The Shining, the 1980 film directed by Stanley Kubrick, uh, rated R, streaming on HBO Max as well. Of course, check out The Parental Guide on IMDb to see if there's anything that you cannot watch. You can maybe get a subscription to vid angel or something if you'd still like to watch it and cut out whatever uh, you have a problem with watching in rated r films of course it's a horror film so i'm 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 confident that there's going to be a lot of blood and some pretty horrific stuff going on uh i have never seen this film i'm actually really excited people always talk about it i know that there's some overacting in it people have told me before but i'm really excited to watch it i've i've maybe seen clips here or there but i don't really know anything about it I don't really know the plot I don't know what's going going on at all so excited to watch that I just know that there's some pretty disturbing stuff in there or like the hotel thing with like the twins or whatever I don't know I have no idea but super excited again We'll be recording that in the coming weeks. If you have anything, any questions, any comments, anything that you want to write in about, you can write in to layersoffilmpod at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and TikTok at layersoffilmpod. On all of those, uh, go ahead and rate and review us on your podcast service of choice, Apple, Spotify, whatever. uh, And uh, let all your friends and family know of this great and amazing show layers of film. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, until next time, I hope you have a fantastic life and that everything goes your way and that you have a good 4th of July or whatever holidays may be coming up wherever you're living. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you later. (music) Bye-bye.